Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome to the Past Gas Podcast. If you like Past Gas, please help us grow by giving us a good rating and a nice review on the podcast platform of your choice. It'll really help us out, and I really appreciate that. So thank you. All right, now for the show. On July 6th of 2000, a funeral in Northern Ireland drew a crowd of over 50,000 mourners. It was the country's largest funeral in nearly 20 years, and it wasn't for a politician, a church leader, or a war hero. The crowd was there to mourn Joey Dunlop, a motorcycling legend who'd grown up the son of a mechanic in the Irish town of Ballymoney. In the words of Joey's dad, quote, we weren't the poorest family in the country, but not far off. On the day of the funeral, Grown men cried in the street as they recalled their working-class hero. Joey had two nicknames that reflected both his humble origins and his racing brilliance. The first was Your Man, as in Joey Dunlop is your man. The second nickname was the King of the Roads. In his quiet way, Joey was both your man and racing royalty. Much of his story was written in the treacherous, winding calligraphy of the Isle of Man TT, where Dunlop had won more races than any other competitor. At his last TT, Joey reflected, I never really wanted to be a superstar. I just wanted to be myself. Dunlop's coffin took an hour to pass through the crowd to the church. In attendance were Joey's family members, among them his brother Robert and Robert's sons, William and Michael. Like Joey, Robert, William, and Michael raced bikes. As they laid Joey to rest in the Ballymoney graveyard, they never imagined that the worst was yet to come. The family would return in dwindling ranks to that sorrow-seated plot of land again and again, all in the name of racing glory. Today on Past Gas, the Dunlop family of Northern Ireland and their relationship to the legendary Isle of Man TT. No other family and no other race has produced such a potent mix of top-level racing and gut-wrenching tragedy. Not going to be the most uplifting uh, episode today, but this family is a dynasty at the Isle of Man, the Dunlop family. Welcome back, everyone, to Past Gas. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Nolan Sykes, joined by my friends, one Joe Weber. What's up? <laughs> and I'm sorry, I'm trying to, I'm trying to bring the energy, but it, this is also a very somber script already and so 
I want to be entertaining, but I also want to honor. Be respectful. Yeah. The Dunlop. I'm going to be entertaining, but respectful. Mm-hmm. And James Pumphrey. You hear him talking now. Toot, toot, fire <laughs> up the riverboat. All right. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So today is our two part or our second part of our story on the Isle of Man TT. We're talking about the Dunlop family. Are you guys ready to get into it? I am. I think I just want to point out, I think your man is the one of the sickest nicknames I've ever That's heard. That's a great nickname. So good. It's so great good. Nickname. It means it means you're a nice guy. It, yeah. it it's a rare nickname that sounds really cool, but it also means you're a nice guy. Like oh. you're also the guy that you're the go to guy whenever anything needs to be done. I'm yeah. your man. Yeah, he's your man. Love it. Great start to a great episode. Let's dive into it. When Marjorie and Ian Forrest and their twin teenage sons moved to their house on Douglas Road on the Isle of Man, one of the things they looked forward to was the opportunity to watch the legendary Isle of Man tourist trophy races from their front yard. After all, it's not every day that you can watch the best road racers in the world take a corner, your corner, in front of your house at speeds of over 120 miles an hour. Unfortunately, the Forrest family had no idea what they were in for. On a practice day in 2005, they heard a crash outside. Joachim Carlson, a Swedish racer, had run into their gate and flipped into their garden. The Swede was severely injured. Medics rushed to the scene, but there was nothing they could do. Carlson's name joined the 250-plus other men who had died on the TT course. The horror didn't end there, though. Officials told the Forrest family that it was too logistically challenging to delay the practice and remove Carlson's body. Instead, Carlson was zipped into a body bag on the front garden for 90 minutes as the road marshals waited for practice to end. All the Forrests could do was close their curtains and forbid their sons from looking outside. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's pretty awful. Uh, there's no way around it. Motorcycle racing is dangerous. Even riding a motorcycle in daily traffic puts you at risk of dying in a crash 29 times higher than that if you were in a car. At the same time, motorcycle riders and racers understand that danger. In fact, it's part of what draws them to the sport. Unfortunately, there's no real way around risking your life. Unlike cars where Technology has greatly improved safety and driver protection. If a motorcycle crashes, you're basically experiencing the equivalent of a no seatbelt through the windshield accident every single time. And as dangerous as motorcycle racing is, the Isle of Man TT stands out as a full degree of magnitude more dangerous than the rest. First of all, public road courses like the Isle of Man, where riders have to contend with what they call the furniture <laughs> that's sick uh they're talking about telephone poles ditches garden walls these are much more dangerous than closed circuit courses or dirt bike rider racing <laughs> while those races do see fatal accidents there hasn't been a deadly crash in a speedway race since 2016 and in the 20 years before that there was an average of less than one death a year similarly motocross raced at much lower speeds also sees lower fatalities Unlike public road races, these courses are designed with plenty of room to minimize danger to the riders. So, 
If motorcycle racing and skydiving, public road courses are like base jumping in a wingsuit, taking an already dangerous activity and bringing it as close to the edge as possible. However, even among public road races, the Isle of Man is easily the most dangerous. In the 27 years the TT was part of the World Grand Prix Championship, 36 racers died on the Isle of Man. Obviously more than one a year. In comparison, at Imatra, there were two fatalities in 16 years. At Hockenheim, three deaths in 26 years. The second deadliest race after the Isle of Man was the Circuit des Spa-Francorchamps, which Franker saw ten- champs, baby, Franker champs, <laughs> Franker champs, which saw ten deaths in 35 years, making the Isle of Man an average four times deadlier than even the second most deadly race. So why is the Isle of Man so much more dangerous than every other race in an already dangerous sport? The short answer is. As weird as it seems, tradition. The motorcycle has massively evolved since the mountain course was first run in 1911, never forget. With speeds increasing exponentially over the decades and bike technology allowing for hugely faster acceleration and braking, the race is faster than ever. However, the course itself has barely changed in that time. If anything, changes on the course like paving the roads have only allowed racers to go faster. Nods to safety are often hilariously inadequate. For example, a 2015 Jalopnik article on the race titled The World's Fastest Death Cult featured a picture of a classic red British telephone booth with what looked like a dirty old mattress strapped onto one of the sides. Many other races that began as public road circuits have changed to address safety concerns. For instance, the circuit, the Cirque des Spa Francorchamps which, as mentioned, was the second most deadly Grand Prix course, changed its circuit in 1979 from an 8.8-mile loop on public roads to a 4.3-mile permanent circuit that allowed for safety features to be implemented throughout. But on the mountain course, racers are often feet away from private walls and buildings. Safety improvements like runoff zones and removal of hazards like ditches and poles are impossible. To make the race safer would be to change the race entirely, and that's a change fans and organizers won't accept. Ultimately, it's the riders who pay the price. Richard Quayle, an Isle of Man TT champion, explained it in a simple comparison. If Roger Federer misses a shot, he loses a point. If I miss an apex, I lose my life. So the TT... This is not not enough of a reason for me to keep doing this dangerous like it's just because like machismo is not a reason that people have to keep dying in my I mean mind. I think I would argue to say that machismo is the reason people keep dying <laughs> you know like no, that's I'm why saying I, it's not yeah, in my yeah. mind I don't want I like that's not like, enough of a reason for me to like continue to do this race yeah but I mean yeah like the I think like the just blind pursuit of power and money is pro- is the reason most people die. Not most. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of people. It's never going to be the CEO of a motorcycle company. Yeah, yeah. They're going to just find a new kid that is going to is hungry to race the next year and they're going to keep making money. Yeah. I think it's different. I think I think the the Isle of Man is a little different like you know, we we Across this show, we've read about so many different, like, crazy, you know, races or achievements that happened within the last 100 years. And the the TT is, like, one of the last ones that even 100 years from now will still 
blow people's minds, you know, um, in the same way that it blew our minds reading about it last episode from in yeah. 1902, you know, I, I think, I mean, the racers are of course aware of the risk and that's kind of what attracts them to it as well. Um, I don't know. I'm not, obviously I, as I said last episode, I, I have no interest in, in competing in this, but I see why people do. I think it's 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 a, it's a piece of the old world that has survived into this new millennium where everything is really safe, you know. Yeah, yeah. it's like the it's like the tomato fight in Spain or yeah, or like running, the bull, running, running, running the, the bulls. bulls. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's among that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So the TT, as a public road motorcycle race, is the most dangerous race and the most dangerous type of event featuring the most dangerous racing vehicle. But does all of that make the Isle of Man TT morally wrong? After all, racers must understand the danger. Dozens of statues, plaques, and tributes to fallen riders line the entire course. Okay, that seems they, unsafe. Yeah, put up another <laughs> thing for throw in some more furniture. They're the ones who choose to put their lives on the line. It's not like there's a, a jail sentence that says you're going to go enter this motorcycle race. But other motorcycle races are less dangerous and still manage to deliver thrilling moments for racers and fans. On the other hand, the Isle of Man is the most legendary race of them all. Without involving the ultimate danger, could it still be considered the ultimate test? I don't think so. Well, Nolan, you're a freaking psychopath. <laughs> yeah, yeah real man, psycho. you just take things to the extreme. I, 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 I'm so psycho in the way that I sit on my couch most days and eat frozen <laughs> bean burritos and just yeah, watch you YouTube but, all day. But you're only, you're only eating frozen bean burritos because you're saving up for your ticket to Fight Island. To answer those questions, like can they make murder legal uh, and get a better <laughs> understanding of why the Isle of Man TT is so loved and criticized, we need to return to the story of the Dunlop family who, more than any other name, represent both the highs and the lows of motorcycle racing. Joey Dunlop was born in 1952 near the small town of Ballymoney, North Ireland. He was the son of a mechanic and the second of seven kids. At 16, he bought his first motorcycle and became obsessed. From then on, he took whatever job he could to fund his passion, including working as a truck driver, a roofer, and a diesel mechanic. Joey couldn't be more different than Mike Halewood and Giacomo Agostini, the greatest names of the Isle of Man TT in the 60s. Both Mike the Bike and Ago came from family wealth and didn't have to worry about anything outside of racing. But there was an entirely different kind of racing tradition in Northern Ireland, which despite its lack of wealth, would produce a huge number of great Isle of Man riders. It's what has led the country to be referred to as the cradle, of motorcycle road racing. One reason for road racing's popularity in Northern Ireland is the same reason Isle of Man is the greatest race in the sport, the geography. Northern Ireland is a sparsely populated land of rolling hills and narrow country roads that sounds amazing, and unlike England where short circuits dominate the sport, Northern Irish racing evolved around the road race. There are dozens of races every year across both Northern Ireland and Ireland and the men who compete, like Joey Dunlop, are huge national celebrities. Another more theoretical reason that road racing is so popular in Northern Ireland is national culture. 
They say that a country's sports mirrors a nation's attitudes. American football reflects the USA's tribalism and love of war. Canadian hockey reflects a nation that is mostly made of ice. Populous Brazil has soccer. And in Northern Ireland, road racing reflects the complicated history of a country that has endured centuries of sectarian violence. With that violence has come an endless parade of young men willing to become martyrs for a cause. Instead of settling for a working class existence, they're drawn to the potential glory of laying their life on the line. Is the danger of road racing really so different from all of that? For Joey Dunlop, he just loved motorcycles. At 18, he entered his first race. He quickly developed a preference for road racing and would often race with Mervyn Robinson, the brother of Joey's future wife. Nice. Along with Frank Kennedy and Joey's younger brother, Jim, the men would become known as the Armoy Armada, named after a town close to Ballymoney. After finding success in events and around Ireland, Joey raced his first Isle of Man TT in 1976. His first entry came at the biggest turning point of the TT in its 70-year history. As the result of a boycott from a group of racers read by Giacomo Agostini, as we discussed in the last episode, the TT race, which had been part of the Grand Prix World Championship since the championship's beginning in 1949, was dropped from the schedule in 1977. It was replaced by the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. The switch to Silverstone showed how motorcycle racing was changing. Where the TT was a 37-mile public road course, Silverstone was a 3.7-mile permanent course with no elevation changes. These huge shifts meant Joey's first TT in 76 was also the last Grand Prix TT. Purely by coincidence, Joey Dunlop's name came to symbolize the changing culture of the TT beginning in 1977. With the race no longer part of the elite Grand Prix series, it was time for a return to the more independent spirit of the pre-World War II era. Instead of the Grand Prix, TT races were now part of what was being called Formula One TT. Just like automobile F1, there would also be F2 and F3 division. The plan was to start a series that would expand beyond the Isle of Man. But for now, the Isle of Man TT was the one and only Formula TT event. The format for the races was becoming increasingly complicated. There were now nine different races on the schedule. Formula One had a 1,000cc limit on engines, and the Formula Two and Three were the middleweight and lightweight classes, respectively. However, the long-standing Senior 500 and Junior 250 classes were still run and were more competitive than Formula Two and Three. All of the chaos was part of the TT culture. Less important than clear categories was providing two weeks of racing entertainment to the tens of thousands of fans who came out every year. Fittingly, 1977 was Dunlop's breakout year at the TT. He was as independent a racer as you could get. Having reached the island from Ireland that year aboard a friend's fishing boat. Sick. Dude, fishing boat with a motorcycle on it? Oh, yeah, I can give you a ride to the TT. He raced a Frankenstein bike that featured a Yamaha engine mounted on a Suzuki frame. Sick. Won his first TT race, the Schweppes Jubilee Classic. Oh, that's an awesome race name. Yeah. The changes to the race did nothing to make the TT any safer. In 1977, four racers died. 78 saw that number increase to six, including three in a single day. 79, four more deaths. For comparison, in those three years, all Formula One auto racing events combined had three deaths, compared wow. to 14 at the Isle of Man over the same period. That's so much. But yeah, they only race for two weeks. 
Joey Dunlop was no stranger to the carnage at the Isle of Man and beyond. The Armoy Armada, the group of Northern Irish racers he came up with, were falling one by one. Frank Kennedy died in an accident at the Northwest 200 event in Northern Ireland. The next year, Mervyn Robinson would die in the same event. Joey was only 28, but half of the crew he'd come up with was gone. But Joey kept racing. He missed his friends, but the danger didn't bother him. His approach to the sport remained humble. In his words, there is a gray blur and a green blur. I try to stay on the gray one. Wow. <laughs> I love that. Dude. That's race crazy. Car driver, like, like, it must be something about the way you have to, like, turn your brain off. I was just going to say. To race. That when you, like, turn it back on or, like, during that, you, you get, like, this weird wisdom where he's just, like, like. Stay on the gray. Stay on the gray. Stay yeah. on the gray. Stay on the gray. It's so cool. Like you have to be like, I think you have to be a little bit of a psychopath to be a really good racer. But maybe you just like, have to turn yeah, it off. But like a little bit of a poet too. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's oh they, definitely. There's like an artistry to it because like we've found with all the race car drivers that we've covered, you know, like Smokey Eunuch, John McLaren, this guy, Bruce McLaren, yeah, Bruce McLaren, this guy, like. They all are so quotable. Carol Shelby, yeah. so quotable. All of them. Blur was the right way to describe it. A big reason why the TT had become more dangerous than ever was the speeds involved. For instance, in 1980, Dunlop won the classic race with a course lap record average of 115.22 miles per hour. What? Top speeds of the course, top speeds on the course were being recorded at over 160 miles per hour. Fans nicknamed the 1980 event the Agro TT. An already extreme event was getting even more extreme. Extreme with an X, baby. Mm. This is not extreme if you use the E. In 1981, Joey signed with Honda, which had returned as a sponsor at the Isle of Man TT after a leave of absence from much of the 70s. It was an unlikely combination. A racer known for his thrown together homemade bikes he tuned himself, teaming up with a company known for their precision and efficiency. At first, Joey struggled to adjust. Uh, his results were stagnant for a couple years, but then in 83, Dunlop delivered for Honda, winning the Formula One TT event. It was a race where he'd win for the next six years. Also notable in 83 was the entry of Joey's younger brother, Richard, in his first TT race. Dunlop was becoming a family name at the TT. By 1984, the Formula TT was a success and had expanded to six events across Europe, including an event in Northern Ireland. In 1985, Joey and Robert experienced a totally different kind of danger when the retired fishing boat the brothers were aboard on the way to that year's TT, shipwrecked and sank. Oh my God. Luckily, all 13 passengers were saved, but some of Joey's bikes were not so lucky. They oh, had to be man. recovered later by divers. Sick. Joey described it as the most frightening experience of his life, which is saying something for a guy who basically did frightening stuff for a living. <laughs> I think I, if I were a like Jay Leno type collector, you know, like yeah. one of these like rich dudes that just, had a bunch of stuff in a big garage. 
I think a Joey Dunlop shipwreck motorcycle. Oh yeah, would be. Oh yeah, for at sure. The top of my list of like, I would have like my guys because like all these guys have, you know, basically brokers, you know, and scout like guys looking for stuff that they really want yeah. for them. And I would one hundred percent be like, find me a Joey Dunlop shipwreck motorcycle, yeah. unrestored. And it's I, still got seaweed on it. Yeah, yeah, it's got like barnacles all over it. <laughs> we'll be right back with more of this story but first a word from our sponsors angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well i absolutely love this because you know if you own a home it can be really hard to maintain it's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small well whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Despite of, or maybe because of, the shipwreck, Joey was incredibly focused that year. He scored his second TT hat trick, winning the Formula One, Junior, and Senior TTs. Between the three races, there were a mind-boggling 322 entries, making Joey's victories over the field that much more impressive. 332. That's what I said, right? 322, you said. Uh, 332 entries, my bad. Thank you, Joe. In the F1 and Senior races, he rode a Honda RVF 750 V4 with 135 brake horsepower, Honda had made the shift to V-formation engines in the early 80s, and the results were blowing away the competition in the higher weight classes. Overall, Honda and Suzuki were by far the top makes, with Japanese-made bikes winning all but one race of the 85 TT. Good lord. Much like with the mullet hairstyle, the late 80s were very good to Joey Dunlop, who did, by the way, have a giant spinal tap turned up to 11 mullet. From 85 to 88, our man won nine races at the TT, including another hat trick in 88. There was no stopping him until the track did. In 1989, he crashed at Brand's Hatch, wrecking his right wrist and forcing him to miss the TT for the first time in 14 years. Joey returned to his hometown of Bally Money, where he focused on serving pints, working the bar at a pub he had recently purchased. Meanwhile, his younger brother Robert redeemed the family at the TT, taking first in the ultra-lightweight TT. It was a brutally violent year, even by TT standards, with eight recorded racing deaths, Jeez. an all-time record. Joey had five children by this point. And at the age of 37, and by the end of the 80s, much like the mullet, it seemed like it was time for Joey to retire. However, just like mullets, the 90s were surprisingly good to Joey. <laughs> 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 
He returned to racing, focusing like his brother on the lighter divisions. Although he so he didn't he didn't really retire. He just retired his motorcycle mm-hmm. and put new tires on it and yeah. got back on the track again. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, I need to retire. And, and his wife is like, yes, thank you. <laughs> he's like, no, no, I need m- new tires on my motorcycle to go risk my life some more. And then she goes, Joey, Joey, <laughs> when are you going to quit that racing? You got five <laughs> children at home. You're 37 years old, Joey. You're 37 years old, Joey. (laughs) Your children, they need a futter. (laughs) Although he never returned to the dominance of the 80s, Joey won the ultralightweight TT three years in a row in the early 90s. And in 1995, at the age of 43, he even won the senior TT in an echo of Mike Halewood's comeback win in 1978. At the age of 38. These wins boosted him to the top of the list for total wins at the TT. Above both Mike Halewood and his legendary rival Giacomo Agostini. But Joey didn't stop there. In fact, neither success nor failure seemed to slow him down in the slightest. In 1998, he suffered a second serious crash at the Tangeree 100, an Irish road race. He lost the tip of a finger on his left hand, cracked his pelvis, and broke his collarbone and right hand. Any other 46-year-old would have retired. I want to remind you guys, this guy's been racing since the 70s. In fact, any other 46-year-old would have already been retired, but not Joey. Only your man himself can know why he kept on racing after 1998. It must have come from the same determined place in his soul that made him such a great rider in the first place. But two years later, in 2000, his luck ran out when he had a third major crash at a race in Estonia. It was one he would never walk away from. He died that day. It wasn't that Joey lacked skill. In fact, at the time of the accident, he was in the lead of the 125cc race he was running. It was a tragic end, but maybe not totally surprising. Before the race, Joey had given a quote that gives us an idea of where his head was at. In his words, the trouble is I don't know what I will do when I stop racing. It's a big problem and a bit of a worry for me. I love traveling and enjoy setting off on my own to race in distant places like Estonia. We know what happened next. A massive funeral back in Bally Money, the town that had given us your man. The king of the road. Most sadly of all, Joey left behind a wife and five children. Also surviving him was a brother and two nephews who shared the family name and were determined to keep it at the top of motorcycle racing. Robert, Joey's younger brother, was no stranger to the dangers of motorcycle racing himself. In 1994, he had a major crash of his own, racing at the Isle of Man Formula 1 TT. His rear wheel collapsed in a turn and he suffered multiple injuries, including severe tendon damage and a leg that, after an emergency surgery, was permanently shortened. That's like Cotton Hill from King of the Hill. Got his shins removed. His mobility was reduced for the rest of his life, but like Joey, it seemed impossible for him to stop racing. In 1997, three years after the accident, he returned to the Isle of Man and faced down the course that had previously wrecked his body and nearly killed him. With his limited range of motion, he could only race in the ultra-lightweight class, but he placed on the podium, winning third place. The next year, he returned and won the event a win that he would later describe as the most memorable of his career. That's awesome. Got back up on that horse, freaking took it to him, won. 
In Robert's crash and recovery, just like in Joey's, you can see the cycle that made racing so addictive for the brothers. The worse the crash, the greater the chance at redemption when you get back on the bike. Fear didn't seem to enter into the equation. Meanwhile, Robert's sons, William and Michael, both started to race, starting in 2000. William was a solid racer and focused his efforts on the Irish road racing circuit, where he won a combined 108 Irish national road races. Michael, the younger brother, was even more successful somehow, showing the same <laughs> brilliance as Uncle Joey back in the 80s. Born in 89, Michael was only 11 when his uncle died, but that early tragedy seemed to do nothing to dissuade Robert and his sons from racing. In 2008, Robert was still racing at the age of 47. Like his brother Joey before him, Robert seemed unable to retire. He was now a year younger than Joey had been at the time of his death and still racing in the lightweight divisions at speeds over 150 miles an hour. Perhaps one reason for Robert to keep racing was the chance to share the sport with his sons. For example, in 2008, Robert, William, and Michael were all competing in the Northwest 200 race, an event which is not only Northern Ireland's biggest road race, but the country's biggest annual sports event of any kind. Whoa. In, in 2008, there were more than 120,000 fans in attendance, packing the nine-mile loop. The race is almost as old as the Isle of Man, with a similar legacy of heroic wins and terrible accidents. The Northwest 200 was flatter and faster than the Isle of Man TT, and by the 2000s, top speeds were being recorded over 200 miles per hour. On May 18, 2008, Robert was participating in a practice session for the 250cc race. He was no longer a top racer, but it was a special moment as both of his sons were also qualifying for the event. Traveling around 160 miles per hour, Robert's engine seized, and he went to hit the clutch. Yeah, because of his previous injuries, Robert had a custom clutch built that was much closer than usual to his brakes to reduce the range of motion he needed to control his bike. An inquiry determined that in his haste to shift into neutral, he squeezed the brake instead of the clutch, causing the front wheel to brake hard and catapulting him over the handlebars. Oh my God. Tragedy had again visited the Dunlop family. Robert would be buried in the Ballymoney Cemetery next to his brother Joey three days later. But before that could happen, something extraordinary happened. Robert was dead. His own redemption was beyond him. But Michael decided to continue on and race in the 250cc, the very event in which his father had been killed during practice. The massive crowd observed a minute of silence for Robert before the beginning of the race. What would have been going through Michael Dunlop's mind for that long, silent minute? Whatever it was, it seemed to inspire. He was only 19 years old. He got on his bike and rode the best race of his young career, edging out Christian Elkin by just over one second to win the 143-mile race, transforming the previously silent crowd into a frenzy. It was Michael's first ever win at the Northwest 200, and at the end of the race, a normally stony-faced Michael could barely speak through his tears. He managed to share a few simple words. We were going into that last lap, and I say, screw this. <laughs> I have to do it for him, and I've done it. I'm so proud. <laughs> the next day, him and his brother buried their dad. Damn. Whoa. That's incredible. That's incredible. Good Lord, man. That's crazy. Yeah. The Dunlop brothers kept racing. Despite losing their father and uncle in horrific accidents that made international headlines and attracted tens of thousands of people to their funerals, what else could the Dunlop men do 
but race motorcycles. By the 2010s, both William and Michael were in the prime of their racing careers. Michael was the younger brother, but the more dominant racer. Following in the footsteps of Joey and Robert, he quickly became a sensation at the Isle of Man TT. After making his debut in 2007 at the age of 18, he won his first race in Supersport TT2 in 2009. In 2014, the two showed that their brotherly relationship did not necessarily extend to the track. Racing in the Northwest 200, the site of their father's death, they were neck and neck in the last lap of the Superbike 1 race. The track was wet, and both of the brothers were sliding in the bad conditions. Nobody else was even close, but the brothers raced as if they were mortal enemies. With only a few turns remaining, Michael was in front, boxing out his brother at every turn. William found his opportunity coming into a left turn out of a straightaway, punching the accelerator and visibly surprising his brother as he passed on the inside. With only a few turns remaining, the two racers looked like mirror images of each other around every turn. Michael contested all the way into the very last turn, coming within feet of his brother but unable to pass. William won the race. The Belfast Telegraph reported that Michael was in, quote, a blind fury at being beaten by his more sedate and more mild-mannered brother. So much for brotherly love. I always think it's amazing when, like, uh, what is this, like, 143 miles? Or no, 200. Um, however long it is, like, 200 miles, and then it comes down to, like, a couple feet. That's yeah. always so impressive yeah. to me. We'll be right back with more of this story, but first, a word from our sponsors. In 2020, Michael Dunlop is a star of the motorcycle racing world. More than any other Dunlop, seems built purely for motorcycle racing. In a social media age, he feels like a man out of a totally different era. A man of few words, in interviews he speaks in a heavy Northern Irish accent, and what you can decipher seems to be a thought process purely dedicated to things in terms of races, bikes, and speed. Speed was definitely something Michael understood. In 2016, he set the record for fastest lap time ever at the Isle of Man TT with an average speed of 133.962 oh miles per hour, meaning he raced the 37-mile course in under 17 minutes. Oh my god. <laughs> That's insane. That that's a mile uh, mile every 30 seconds, or less than 30 seconds. That's crazy. To put that in context, in the first ever year the mountain course had been raced in 1911, Oliver Godfrey's winning lap time averaged around 48 minutes. Michael would have nearly finished three laps by the time Oliver had gone around once. Michael was consistent, too. In 2013, he won five races, a hat-on-hat-on-a-hat -hat trick, with the only major race he missed out being the senior TT, in which he placed second. In 2018, the brothers were clearly headed in different directions with racing. William was now 32 and married. His wife, Janine, was expecting their second child. William was reportedly considering retirement and pulled out of the 2018 Isle of Man TT to spend, type, to spend time sorry, with Janine, now six months pregnant. William had always performed solidly in the TTs with multiple podium finishes, but hadn't yet scored a win. Maybe dropping out of the TT was a sign that he was okay with that. Meanwhile, Michael traveled to the Isle of Man TT without his brother and did what he does best, win races. He won the Superbike, Supersport, and Lightweight events, showing he was now the TT racer to beat. 
The victories brought his total TT wins to 18, the third most of any rider, behind only John McGinnis and his Uncle Joey. Still only 31 in 2020, it seems very likely that Michael will one day surpass his uncle to become the winningest TT racer of all time. And if only the story could end there, but sadly it doesn't. As mentioned, William was considering retirement, but for a Dunlop, considering quitting was actually very far from actually retiring. In the summer, William returned to racing, and at the Scaries yeah. 100 in County Dublin, was practicing on his bike when he hit a bump and bottomed out, tearing his oil sump. The sump leaked oil onto the track, coating his back wheel and causing him to lose control of his bike. He ran off the road into a ditch at high speed, suffering massive head injuries and losing his life. He never got to meet his second child, a baby girl who was born safely to his widow that September. The baby's father, who would be buried along with his own father and uncle in that familiar Ballymoney graveyard. Maybe believing in fate makes the story of the Dumlops easier to understand. They were destined to be fast. They were destined to crash. They were destined to get back on their bikes. And in the end, three men, brothers, sons, and fathers were destined to die doing what they loved. As for the Isle of Man, there have been 260 deaths to date in races on the island. Is that an acceptable number? Less easy to justify are the 11 additional deaths that have involved spectators, bystanders, and marshals in the race. These are not people who expected to die or expected that their life was in danger. More alarming still is that the race appears to be getting more dangerous. In 2005, the most dangerous year yet with 11 deaths. Is there a number that is too many? What's certain is that speeds will only get faster, and unlike auto racing, technology can't really make bikes less dangerous. Ironically, in 2020, the Isle of Man TT was canceled due to coronavirus, an entirely different kind of danger that made an international event like the TT impossible. But the Isle of Man TT will surely return. Many more riders will surely die. The Dunlop name will continue to be synonymous with both racing excellence and terrible tragedy. The family's new standard bearer, Michael Domlop, will surely win more TT events and perhaps surpass even his uncle in his accomplishments. Hopefully, he'll stay safe. And whatever feelings you might have about everything we've talked about today, you can't deny the simple fact. The Isle of Man TT is one hell of a race. Yeah, dude. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Yeesh. Wow, that's dude. uh, wow. Uh, rest in peace to all the to to Robert and Joey and uh, Michael. No, Michael, William. William, there. The, wow. Um, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, it's sort of like you know, my uncle and my dad died making YouTube videos, but oh my god, I can't <laughs> not like that at all. <laughs> I can't not make YouTube videos and host podcasts. You know what I mean? It's like just like the Pumphrey name. Is synonymous <laughs> with YouTube. I, think I, I mean, I think I kind of get it though, man. Like, if if you're raised doing that, and your your dad did it, and his brother did it, like, well, I mean, yeah, it's that's sort all of like, you know, man. It's sort of like even you know, like you can go one of two ways. I think, right? If your dad and your uncle die racing or doing something, like you either are like it either like makes you stop and you're like okay this is a little too this is way too close i i don't want to end up like this or 
it eliminates your fear on a certain level because dying in a race becomes part of your legacy. So you're like, right. well, he right. died. So like it, it almost becomes like honorable. It's like Lieutenant Dan and Forrest Gump when Forrest Gump saves Lieutenant Dan. And he's yeah, like, there's like a weird, a weird sense of duty right. in, in spite of all these like dangers that you know exist. Mm-hmm. You have to honor your father and your uncle or whatever. Like, um, at that point, I I feel like you like you're so far invested that you're yeah. like yeah this is this is my reality is like people all around me are dying but this is something that I love and is part of me and part of my family and I'm going to keep doing it because I it's just that ingrained in your yeah. DNA and if I yep. die I die like it takes the shame out of death and like the yeah. failure out of death like it's it's honorable at this point yeah, uh, I think you guys both kind of nailed it there. It's like, if it becomes your reality and your norm, then that's doesn't make the idea of it so bad, you know? Yeah. Uh, that being said, I hope Michael stays safe. Um, what a story, man! What a what, yeah, yeah. what a story. what an island! <laughs> what an what, what an, an island! island. <laughs> I, what an Ireland! <laughs> yeah, like I have no uh, want to go race this but i do very much want to go see the isle of man oh absolutely yes, and that's absolutely. probably why it's that's probably why it's stayed legal for so long now is because like for the isle of man racing is the only thing i associate with the isle of man i know nothing uh-huh. else about it and it's probably a huge tourism boon for the island so that's why it's going to keep going yeah and like i don't want to go during the race i want to <laughs> our producer said golf is also well known. Of course there. he <laughs> of course Kanan knows about yeah. Isle of Man golf. Yeah, I want to go not during the race. I want to go during like a nice period, not during the race. And I, I would like to drive the course. Um yeah, in a cool. PLP fifty? Yeah, no, not yeah, in a take him seven days. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah. So I mean I it just sounds like a beautiful place. Yeah. Let's go check out all the furniture. I'm definitely gonna watch the next tt on tv and yeah. if i have the means to go there i i would go watch the race but yeah i'd love to uh, go watch it yeah just sounds like a big party man it sounds fun i wasn't expecting to um tear up a little bit during this um, yeah. probably should have known but uh this was a great two-parter um if you haven't subscribed yet to the channel please consider doing so so you never miss another episode of I, we're getting in a groove i think I don't want to yeah, like yeah. spoil anything, but like we're we're figuring this out. This is like probably what our we're in the 30s or 40s now as far as episodes go, and 40s. that's like that's a ba- that's baby steps for a podcast. So we're really yeah. figuring things out. We're and I want to get figuring out wanna, our rhythm. I want to give a, a decent amount of credit for that to our new writer Tommy Willett, who is oh yes killing yes. it. All right. Well, uh, everyone, uh, right. stay safe out there. Don't go driving around in Ireland at 160 miles per hour. Um, I love you. Yeah. Uh, be kind. And, and uh, fire it up. Fire it up. That's right. All right. Thank you.